Hello and welcome to episode 65 of the Telling the Story podcast. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. This podcast is all about developing your voice as a journalist and developing the skills to harness that voice. And for our second straight episode, we're going to do this with a newly minted winner of a National Edward R. Murrow Award. That's in a second. Before that, this. First, please subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. It is the best podcast app I know. It keeps a playlist of your favorite shows and automatically updates with new episodes so you don't have to download them. Just download the Stitcher app and subscribe to the Telling the Story podcast. Second, rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you like what you're hearing and you want others to hear it too, a kind rating on iTunes is the best way to boost us in the rankings and search. So I kindly encourage that. And finally, you can buy my book, The Solo Video Journalist, wherever fine books are sold online. It is a how-to guide for the most in-demand job in local TV news, those who shoot and edit their own stories. It is getting picked up by college classes, being read around the world. Again, that is the solo video journalist on sale now. My guest today has been in the documentary video business for all of five years. In that time, she has produced videos for Slate, Recode, Reveal, PBS, NPR, her work has won a handful of awards, including most recently a National Edward R. Murrow for investigative reporting by a small digital news organization. The piece was called Recovering from Rehab, and we'll get to it in a second. But more than that, her journey and her subject matter makes her an ideal inspiration for aspiring storytellers worldwide. Olivia Loomis-Marion, welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. Hi, thank you. Thanks for all that, that nice introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and congratulations on the Murrow. And I, I believe you had a different story that won a Gracie Award this year as well? Yeah, it was for a series I um, co-produced with Deborah Souza Silva, who um, worked with me at Reveal for the Cent for, from the Center for Investigative Reporting. Terrific. Yeah. So when you win an award like this, who's the first person you call? <laughs> um, uh, I, I probably uh, call my boyfriend first and then my parents but they both think that they're called first, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. We'll tell them to fast forward yeah, to minute yeah. three of the podcast. Yeah. So let's skip all this. Uh, the piece is called Recovering from Rehab. Before we get into it, why don't you go ahead and just give the quick one-minute rundown of what it's about and with whom you put it together. Cool. So um, Recovering from Rehab was a video that I made to partner with an investigation done by Amy Julia Harris and uh, Shoshana Walters. And... Um, that, and I should mention that that uh, investigation was a finalist for the Pulitzer um, and is the story of Brad McGahee, who went to a rehab facility in, in Oklahoma where, um, unbeknownst to him and a lot of the other people that went to the rehab facility, it was um, a chicken processing plant. And it's this whole idea that these people were in quote-unquote rehab, but really, I mean, as they put it, they were, um, it, was, it was slave labor. So did they do the original port report and then you were called in for Absolutely. video or yeah. were you a part of it the whole time? Um, the, I was not a part of it the whole time. This was very much a different situation. Usually um, I find myself pitching stories or um, I'm, I'm in a space where uh, like I, I'm, I'm in it from the beginning. But this was sort of as they were going on, they really saw a potential for a video. And so on one of their final reporting trips, I went with them. And then we collaborated and it was nice because we got to um, 
So Reveal has a podcast as well, beyond just being uh, the Center for Investigative Reporting. Um, and, Excellent podcast, too. <laughs> and um, so Brad actually didn't fit as much into the into their story for their podcast. But by by me being able to do a video, we were getting really like just such such a larger amount of um, coverage of this one story. And that was really nice. And talk about the reaction that you did receive from the video and from the investigation. Um, so the investigation was, um, it got a lot of reaction. It, it ended in, um, uh, there was like a, a you know, cor- court, um, let me look up exactly what happened. <laughs> um, but um, it, it's weird, right? Because in most situations, I, I've been pitching the story and I'm way where it's like when you're working with reporters and you're just doing the video, I mean, you are in, invested in the story, but not in the same respect as these reporters were. I mean, this is their story. And I was just putting my my um, knowledge as a video person being like, how can we make this amplify what you guys have already uncovered. So, so much of it is, um, it was them, you know, and it was just really cool to have that experience. Um, and I think it's when it's, it's how investigative, um, for me, from what I'm learning, like it's how investigative stories. And I think that more, um, more places should be thinking about it like that, how videos can accompany, um, rather than just completely repeat what the written, the written, document says when the awards came out i watched a bunch of the winners and i wrote a piece called five lessons from this year's national moral award winners here's what i said about yours working in local tv has conditioned me to expect a certain type of investigative story urgent voicing from the reporter dramatic confrontations with a person in power whiz-bang graphics to hold the attention of the casual news viewer who's debating whether to keep watching or head to bed but it doesn't have to be that way and this piece shows how Recovering from rehab took the National Murrow, and it's easy to see why. It's just as effective, just as gripping, but nowhere near as sensational as its analogs in TV. So that, to me, is what really stood out about your story. It was subtle. It was deliberate. It had a, a not a slow pace, but a very, uh, again, deliberate pace that it moved with. You don't come from a local news background. You come from a docu- documentary background, and I would imagine that influences how you produce a project like this. Um, yeah, I think absolutely. First off, thank you very much. It's very nice things to, uh, to hear about a piece, you know, that you spend a lot of time on. Um, and I think that, sorry, there's a large bus going past me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why, don't, why don't we explain where you are right now? Oh, um, I'm, I'm in Oakland. <laughs> and I, I'm right. in downtown Oakland. I, I work at a, like a co-working space. And so I, um, there's, there's, you know, in any downtown situation, there's, some downtown situations. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit, but, but back to what you were saying about not coming from that local news background, being a documentarian and how that affects what you do. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, I think one thing that is nice with documentary that uh, TV you don't get to do is sit with things for a while. Um, because the turnaround time is a lot longer. You know, I, I wasn't turning this piece in 20, 24 hours. Um, at all. (laughs) Um, I was, I had time to think about it. Um, I, I was rewriting my storyboards a lot while I was, while I was in the field. Um, 
However, I, I don't think it's, it's the same race. And maybe um, that relaxed editing environment then reflects to the way that you, that your final product comes out, you know, like it's, it's, um, I've always kind of found that if you can grip someone in the first few minutes, then it doesn't really matter how long your piece is. Um, and especially, you know, I, I'm for the web audience, it's a lot different than a TV audience. Um, you've got to almost be more convincing because people aren't, it's not just in the background, like happening in, in someone's living room. You've got to really create that desire to figure out what is going on. Um, and I think that, I think that a lot of like people like myself that have sort of grown up um, making a lot of films for the web would say the same thing. And that's very interesting too, because I think most people in TV would say that simply because the, the nature of a TV investigative piece or any kind of long form piece is probably around three to four minutes. You don't have a few minutes to hook people in. You probably have a few seconds, maybe 15 to 20 with your story mm-hmm. to keep them from theoretically changing the channel. And so it is a different ball game where on the web, like you said, the, the attention is not as divided perhaps, but mm-hmm. there's an expectation of maybe a little more length with a story like this that I don't know that there is in a standard local TV story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're just, we're, and in the web, um, you're usually not given specific, uh, you're not trying to hit a certain minute marker. Right. And that's really, um, that's really great to have that. So what was your turnaround time on this project? I honestly couldn't tell you because with the, with the um, residency that I was working under with this, I was working on a lot of other, it was like changing the channel almost. <laughs> I, was like, I was like editing one piece one day and then another the other day. So I couldn't, oh I, I couldn't tell you um, which day, um, which probably is not the most effective way to do it, right? <laughs> you should probably just edit one piece at a time. Um, but it was like, you know, getting, going through different drafts and, and seeing what people thought of different things. Um, and especially when I was working with the investigation. So I was working with Amy, Amy Julia and Shoshana as well. And so it was like constant feedback. It was really great. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. She is Olivia Loomis Marion, National Edward R. Murrow Award winning documentarian. So we've talked about your craft. I want to talk now about your voice. I was scanning your website earlier and you describe your story focus as social justice narratives and examining the crucial roles of art, music, and, and the environment. How early did that become your focus, and how does that play into how you pitch stories, who you pitch them to, and how you go about your young career? Um, yeah, I, I think um, it's worth saying those are, those are, you know, of course, my favorite stories to do. I do other stories as well. Um, yes. I... I don't know. There's a special, um, I think, I think just beyond just the simplistic, simplistic statement that, um, art and, and tends to be a way more visual thing. So I think a lot of video people are attracted to stories about artists, um, beyond just their sort of different views of the world. But I think that when you can have a story where art is also addressing some sort of social issue, it's like where I feel like I've hit the jackpot. Um, I got to work on this story 
and it wasn't a story so much as I was working with the, um, this group called Creative Time. They're a public arts nonprofit that I think their, ta their like, motto or, or um, mantra is like making artists' dreams a reality. And um, I did this piece about this artist in Brooklyn who um, did a, he flew 2,000 pigeons off a decommissioned Navy boat in the Brooklyn Navy Yard with lights attached to, attached to their legs. Um, and wow. it's this whole, like, when you hear that, you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was, but it was, I mean, beyond just being like that. And so I followed that story for about it, for about six months and then, and then edited the piece. Um, and that doing that story reaffirmed just how much more you can tell when you're telling things through something else, you know? So it's this story about uh, this artist, but it's really about a changing New York. Um, and about how pigeon keeping doesn't exist anymore. And so that was like the vision. It was really cool to be able to listen to what he was saying and hearing him say in other interviews and just, you know, getting to know, getting to know everyone a little bit too. And, and then being able to make something that really felt like it was um, like true to the story of the art piece, but then also true to like this real thing that's happening in New York. And I think it's interesting, too, that so much of the work that you do is not just with journalistic outlets. It's also with nonprofits. And it's more about the content and there's more, I don't want to say an, an activist bent to it, but there's a point of view to it that maybe in a lot of traditional journalistic outlets, the reporter is instructed to remove from their work. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think that that's something I'm trying to... Um, learn about now i think working at reveal kind of was the first real um because when i was at npr i was working within their music department so i wasn't working on in the newsroom per se i was like filming tiny desk concerts and stuff like that um and, that's pretty good too though it was really cool it was an amazing opportunity changed my life um yada 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 i love npr um and uh but working at reveal was you know it was very much in the newsroom and like things like um, I remember not being able to like go to a protest and stuff that I wanted to go to was sort of like, okay, like that was like a, a newsroom decision. Like you can't go to the woman's March unless you're covering it. Um, and things like that. Um, and now I, I understand that so much more because your voice gets, it's just like, it's, it's like journalism 101, right? Um, but yeah, by, by taking a more neutral stance, um, you're definitely able to reach more people. And I think that that's sort of where I'm trying to go a lot more with my work is because because of like where we are right now, I, I think everything, everyone's just yelling at each other louder and out louder. And I'm, I'm really interested in stories now that kind of find that middle ground. Um, and I don't think I'm the only one doing that at all. <laughs> I think that a lot of people are trying to do that. And I think that's good. Um, but yeah, so I think that working at Reveal really taught me sort of the, like the importance of being a little bit less activisty, um, and uh, yeah, and hearing other sides of the story, honestly. So that's very indicative, I think, of the work of Reveal and the Center for Investigative Reporting. But I also think it's indicative of the difference between, again, someone who comes in with kind of a traditional journalist background and how that's really ground into you when you're in school and in college. Whereas I think for most people, it is not an instinctive and natural first step to take their 
feelings and emotions about a subject and have to kind of push them down for the sake of the story. And I don't know if that's something that it, it seems that you now appreciate that a little more that that's that you'd almost prefer to do it that way rather than be on quote one side of an issue. You'd rather kind of approach it from that with a little more nuance, I guess. A little bit, but like if we're being completely honest with ourselves, if we're being completely like honest with ourselves, I mean, documentary always has a point of view. I think even journalism always has a point of view. I'm a little like, um, I guess, I think sometimes journalism can hold itself a little too high and mighty um, when you're still a person telling a story and you obviously have an outlook. I mean, as much as you try. And I think that sometimes if you acknowledge your outlook, then you can make a lot truer of a piece if you're just like, this is obvious. I mean, I love documentaries that, um, you know, reveal more about the people that are, are that are watching them than necessarily the than what reveal more about the people that are, are watching them than what the actual documentary itself wants you to think, you know, those open ended yeah. situations. Um, yeah. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. She is Olivia Loomis Marion, who just took home a National Murrow Award for her investigative report, Recovering from Rehab, with Reveal in the Center for Investigative Reporting. So, Olivia, I like to use this final section as an advice section for younger journalists. And uh, being that you still very much are one, (laughs) I wanted to ask you how you found yourself working with such innovative outlets so early and so quickly in your career. Um. Well, I, I mean, I mentioned this earlier, but um, like internships as much as, uh, you know, they're unavoidable and you should definitely take advantage of internships when you are able to apply to them because there is a time limit. <laughs> After you graduate for a certain amount of, of years, they don't want you anymore. <laughs> um, no, no. And, and I think having, you know, when I got the internship with NPR, um, that really changed everything. Uh, it, you know, it was it was a really grueling, not just a grueling internship, but it was an internship with a really big name, um, and it really helped me from from there. And um, and I think I, I you know I'm not super I'm I'm picky, but I'm not um, I kind of a little bit what you were saying before, like you work with nonprofits too, and and I do commercial stuff as well. I think that I've never really picked. Like, you know, and I, I, I've, video has always been the constant and, um, I love video. <laughs> I love like, I love, you know, doing recovering from rehab as much as like, I don't know, a video about like, uh, decorating a cake or something. Not that, but not that at all. But, I was like, waiting like to see what you were going to come up with for that one. <laughs> not that, uh, just, but you know, th- that idea, like, I think that, um, the, so because of that, and I think because of just the love of the moving image, really, I've, I've welcomed a lot more opportunities that maybe somebody, that's one thing I can think of, like somebody that was maybe like, oh, I'm not that, so I'm not going to apply to that. You know, like this, even this reveal thing, you know, I applied to it and I was like, I, I would be kind of surprised if I got this because I'm not from a strict journalism background and they're very much journalism. Um, but like they were looking for like sort of, a um a diverse group of of women to to bring on so you know that benefited me and i think a lot of the people that did apply were 
we're journalism focused. So I, I don't know if that applies for everybody that, that knows what path they want to go on or whatever. I think I'm, I'm still very much just welcoming opportunities. I love a lot of things. And so I just, I, I love making things. And I think that, that that has helped me. Well, you know, it's funny because we've talked about the differences in coming up as a documentarian versus coming up as a traditional journalist. But I think there's also a difference between the freelance life and the five-day-a-week, nine-to-five job mm-hmm. life. And not that there really aren't very many journalism jobs that are nine-to-five, but many are five days a week, even if they're not eight hours a day. And, you know, we recently had on the podcast Emily Cassie, who has done a lot of work uh, in the documentary space, and similarly to you, has done extraordinary work, won some major national awards. And she, after we did the podcast, she actually took a full-time job, and she's kind of bounced between those two. What is your outlook as someone who obviously wants those opportunities and the sense of, I guess, freedom and availability that comes with being on your own and kind of jumping from job to job? Oh, man. Um... I think, <laughs> uh, I mean, like, ask me in two weeks, it'll be a different answer. Uh, Good yeah, it, like exactly what you said. I mean, there's there's so many positives to each, right? I think, I think one thing in the nine to five that um, I miss the most is not like this. I mean, it is the security and all that stuff, but it's also security of like other people. You know, you're going into a room every day with people that. Um, uh, understand what you're working on or know, you know, and that is something really hard to replicate in the freelance world, even as like many friends or, or like collaborators you have, like that is, that's difficult. And so I think that can be, can be the hardest thing. Freelancing is just sometimes you feel like you're the only one freelancing <laughs> um, and things like that. But um, yeah, I think ask me in two weeks and my answer would be different. But today, like, I'm very happy that I can, you know, spend a half an hour with you and this, <laughs> and you know, it's, um, <laughs> it changes for sure. Well, and I guess the other thing with that would be, obviously there's, um, you know, flexibility, but then there's also the, just knowing you're getting a paycheck every week or every two weeks when you're at a full-time job versus having to rely on each mm-hmm. assignment for your salary or for your, uh, you know, for how you make a living. Has that, is that something that takes up a lot of your mind space as far as not just doing this for the joy of it, but also yeah. how to make a living doing it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, it is, it is definitely a hustle. There's no denying that. Um, I think that there's, we're at like, at different times in your life, sometimes you're afforded different opportunities. And when, when you, the place that I'm at right now, I don't have kids. I don't have like thing, other, other little things I'm, I'm, you know, putting my money to. Um, I, I'm, I live pretty uh, modestly. <laughs> and I think that making some of those decisions so that I can, you know, wake up every day for right now, you know, um, it, that's fine by me. I think that, like, like every stage in life has different sort of constraints. And, um, right now I feel a little bit less constrained maybe because of my age. Um, but so who knows what's really, what's really in the future. I think, um, 
you know, I've always kind of said there's like a few different paths that I could see my, my, my life going and I would be like completely fine. And one of those paths is like a full-time job. So it's, it's never like I've been like opposed to it. It's more just, um, <laughs> I haven't also been actively seeking out opportunities and the ones that have come to me have never felt like the right fit. Um, so as long as, as long as things are still working right now, you know, as long as I can keep my lights on in my apartment, I think I'm okay. That's always important. And I can say too, as someone who just welcomed my first child, that absolutely has changed my trajectory on the importance of having that paycheck coming in. And, and I think, you know, I remember when I was 25 and working at a TV station in Buffalo, New York, and I was having lunch with an older reporter one time who, who I admired and who had accomplished a lot in his career. And he you know, and I mentioned feeling an urgency to do a lot now while I could. And he, and he looked at me a little puzzled and he said, well, why is that? Why, you know, why do you feel that that's the case? You know, why, why can't you do something at 35 as you can at 25? And I, and I essentially laid out the case that you did that, you know, at certain points, we're always going to have certain limitations that don't have anything to do with work. And it isn't necessarily kids. It might be a, a sick parent. It might be monetary it might be uh you know wanting to be in a specific location for whatever reason and i think it is important no matter what age you are to be aware that with whatever age you are comes opportunities and come possibilities that might not be available down the road for whatever reason so it it is i think a nice thing to hear you say and i think a good tip for people coming into the business that when you're in your early 20s if you feel like that is a life you want to pursue there's there's nothing wrong with it and it doesn't and it and i think in your case and in the case of some of the folks i've interviewed it actually helps you reach major outlets very quickly in a way that for a lot of folks they're they're you know they get to 30 or 35 and they're mm -hmm. still looking um yeah i mean it it does afford that that possibility where you you aren't just working for one company but um if people know that you you're a freelancer based in x city um, especially if it's a city that not a lot of other people are based in, um, you know, then you can definitely work with a lot of, a lot of great people. And then to the time when maybe you, who knows, like when you are looking for something more solid, your network's a little bit wider. Finally, I wanted to call attention to your work with Glassbreaker Films. Uh, as I understand it, this is an initiative that helps women become leaders in nonfiction filmmaking and documentary work. And I wasn't aware that it existed and I wasn't, I don't know that I'm aware if there are many opportunities like this that exist. So shed some light onto what they're doing and these kind of pathways that exist for young journalists. Um, yeah, I'm so glad you asked. Um, so Glassbreaker Films is an initiative to basically fund female nonfiction or female identifying nonfiction filmmakers. Um, and so this ranges from women uh, applying for, for grants for, they, they fund short docs uh, primarily, um, with, but with real budgets. But then also what I think is really great, they have something called the Catalyst Grant. So they fund, um, they fund films for people that have just graduated. There's like, I think it's like your first five years out of school and um, they're funding projects in wow. time when nobody gives people money because you've just graduated. Um, and it's really hard to know, like, it's, 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 it's way harder. Um, um, but so I was, I got involved with Glassbreakers originally um, 
because I was, they funded my residency at the Center for Investigative Reporting with other, with two other female filmmakers. And we all worked together to make short docs um, about, about different investigations and about stories that we were producing ourselves. But I mean, the, the opportunities that it just shows like how one organization can really change someone's life. And that's how it felt like for me. Um, just somebody like somebody believing in you is one thing, but then somebody believing, believing in you, believing in, but then also somebody believing in you with money is, is an incredible <laughs> feeling. Um, and, and, and there it's just, it's, 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 if you've got an idea and if you're a, a, a woman listening, uh, I really recommend looking, looking them up because they're, um, they're funding projects right and left. Outstanding. All right, Olivia, I always like to end with that famous reporter's question. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to add? Um, well, maybe I would like to just add that uh, about sort of the, the investigation again, that show and um, that show and Amy did that, um, that what it did lead to, because there were like class action lawsuits, government investigation and like, you know, companies cancel their contracts with uh with care which was the company under under fire i just felt like i stumbled over that earlier and want to make sure that there was real (laughs) action that came to that investigation um and i guess i would just say to anybody that's uh like maybe a little bit junior than my to to myself to um just always make work even if like like that is so important to the process to just be prolific and to um, to be trying to figure it out, and you know, if you're if you're sitting at home and you don't know what to do, grab a camera and just go film something. Um, just do it. Uh, it's like the best advice anybody can give anyone starting out. That is great advice. Develop your voice before others try to develop it for you. I think it's so so yeah, important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, Olivia Loomis Marion. Thanks so much for joining me on the Telling the Story podcast. Okay, thank you so much. (laughs) And the Telling the Story blog updates every Monday and Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. And check out my book, The Solo Video Journalist. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 